This week on Blue 58, if you think talking about other people's money is rude, this might not be the episode for you. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to Blue 58, the official podcast of ThePowerSweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink, excited to be with you for episode number 69, 69 on Blue 58. Approaching number 70. That is a lot of podcasts. We've been doing this for a while. I'm your host, John Munich. As I said, very excited to be with you here this week for Blue 58. We've got a lot of stuff to talk about, and this is going to be a little bit of a different format for the episode than we've done in the past. You know the drill by now. If you've been a listener, we typically do three headlines and a main topic. Wrap things up with a little bit of stuff that you might want to hang on to for later on. That's not going to be the, the case so, so much this time around. When I was laying out the stuff I wanted to talk about this week, we talked about, or I had one contract written down, and we'll get to who's in a second. Then we started talking about somebody else's money. Then some guys who might want to restructure. Then I thought, let's just make this the money issue. Let's talk all about money. We'll still break it up by player, and you'll know when we're making those transitions, but this is going to be all about contracts. Who needs a better one? Who doesn't need one at all? Who's we might want to change around a little bit if we're the Packers? Sound like a good deal? Good. Let's dive right in. Aaron Rodgers should not take less from the Green Bay Packers. That seems to be the topic du jour around Packers internet over the last couple weeks or so, especially after Jimmy Garoppolo signed his big new contract. Good for him. He's got a real big contract. But that, of course, kind of starts the ball rolling for a couple other contract extensions around the league. And once quarterback contracts start to to get signed, other quarterbacks tend to sign extensions. They kind of come in waves because there's a new market ceiling. Guys that think they can get above that ceiling um, obviously want their deals renewed. And guys that are maybe not sure how much they can get want to try to get to as close of, uh, as close to that ceiling as they possibly can. Aaron Rodgers has been tangled up in this because there's been some opinions among perhaps some of the media in, uh, let's say, the Milwaukee area Um you probably know the show that stirs, stirs up a lot of this if you spend any time on Packers Twitter. Um, some people have speculated, well, Aaron Rodgers needs to take a team-friendly deal to help the Packers stay competitive. No, he should not. Absolutely not. Aaron Rodgers should get as much money as he can possibly get from the Packers for a few reasons. First and foremost, football is a finite resource in terms of how long you get to play it um, and do it for a career. He needs to maximize every year of income earning that he has uh, where he can get, you know, $20, $30 million a year to do what he does well. If he can find another job where he can make that much money, well, that's fine. He can go do that. But while he has an opportunity to do it, he should continue to try to get as much money as he possibly can. As far as team-friendly deals go, Aaron Rodgers has done plenty in that respect. Some of it has been him. Some of it has been the team. But he has had team-friendly deals in the past, and a big part of it is due to timing. In 2008, he signed a six-year, $63 million deal. I was midway through his first season as a starter. This is the Packers winning by buying in early. They liked what they saw from Rodgers. They thought, let's extend this guy right now. And it worked out pretty well because the quarterback market rose around him. A few years later, it's time for Rodgers to do a deal again. And again, the Packers are ready to get in a little bit ahead of where the rest of the quarterback market is going. They didn't have to extend Rodgers when they did, but in April 2013, they do decide to do a deal. And Rodgers signed a five-year, $110 million deal. 
April 2013. That date's important because look what happens over the next couple years. In July of 2013, Matt Ryan signs his big deal. And we're not going to run through the numbers because this is going to be a lot of quarterbacks here. Andy Dalton signs a, a big deal the year after that. Not quite as big as Rodgers, but it helps to continue to raise the market for quarterbacks. Then in 2015... Philip Rivers, Eli Manning, Ben Roethlisberger, Russell Wilson, and Cam Newton all signed contract extensions in the neighborhood or bigger than Aaron Rodgers. That trend continues in 2016 with Andrew Luck, then the biggest deal ever for a quarterback. Derek Carr, Matthew Stafford, and, well, I wrote Derek Carr down here twice. Then Derek Carr and Matthew Stafford both signed big deals in 2017. And then you have Jimmy Garoppolo signing his big monster deal in 2018. Just by virtue of the timing, the Packers signed a very team-friendly deal with Aaron Rodgers. It's working out differently this time around. It looks like now when Rodgers signs his deal, the Packers are going to have to pay a little bit more than they would probably like to. Obviously, they think Rodgers is worth the money. If, if anyone has done enough to earn a big contract from the Packers, it's probably Aaron Rodgers. So that, that's not the hang-up. It's not that they don't like Aaron Rodgers and don't want to pay him the money for that reason. But... If you're running a business, you want to pay as little for your expenses as possible. So it is a little bit onerous from the Packers from that perspective. But by just again, by by way of the timing here, they're going to end up paying a little bit more than they would probably like to. And that's fine. The concerns about Rodgers signing this deal, I think, are unfounded. Again, the team friendly thing, that's not an issue. But but the other two big ones, two or three big ones that signing a big deal is going to hurt the Packers in terms of signing free agents and that you, the listener, may take less in a situation like this, I think are also unfounded. First, signing that big deal is not going to hurt the Packers in terms of signing free agents. Just throwing money around doesn't land you good players. Uh, That's a really slapdash player acquisition strategy. And I know things have changed a little bit in the the past couple years in terms of how free agent signings have played out for teams. And that's fine. Uh, We're going to go through those cycles and things are going to play out well. But again, by and large, just throwing money at people is not a strategy. All money really does is give you flexibility. And not having quite as much money just forces you to be a little bit more flexible. Look at the Philadelphia Eagles this past season. They made a lot of savvy moves to get under the cap uh, that really put them over the top. Those kind of second-tier players or more bottom-of-the-first-tier players that they had during the Super Bowl run were not guys that they had thrown just a ton of money at. They were really savvy with their acquisition strategy. I mean, LeGarrette Blunt, a pretty low-level free agent signing in terms of money, at least. Jay Ajayi, I mean, that was a trade. They brought him in. He's going to be a little bit more expensive. But there are other ways that you can add players to your roster in terms of other than just signing them as free agents. So just because Rodgers signs this big deal doesn't mean the Packers are going to be aren't going to be able to sign free agents. It might make it more difficult for them to retain some guys, but I don't think it hurts in bringing people in. If you want to bring people in, you can figure out a way to make it work. The other objection that I've heard, other than the team-friendly stuff, other than making it hard for the Packers to sign free agents is that I would take less. If I was in Rodgers' situation, I I would take less. That's absurd. No, you wouldn't. Absolutely not. Uh, One of the few things I disagree with, or I agree with Colin Cowherd about, is his great point about salary. 
if you had the option to have more money or have less money, how often do you think you just choose to have less money? Any Anything else aside, how often do you honestly see yourself taking less money? If it's me, hardly ever. I mean, just in a pure number sense, do you want to have more money or do you want to have less money? Obviously, you want to have more money. I don't think anybody would would really say that unless there are some unusual circumstances, they would want to have less money in their lives. Secondly, put it. imagine that you're in this situation at your job and your boss comes to you and says, hey, you've been doing a fantastic job and we got to keep you around. And good news for you, to keep you around, we are willing to make you the highest paid person who has ever done your job. How does that sound? You take that job every single time that's offered to you or that offer every time it, it comes to you, right? Obviously you do. What if your boss says, that's great. It's great that you want to accept that deal. Now, what if we paid you 30% less, 25% less, and you know we use that money to hire some other good people at this company? What do you think? You still on board with that? I bet it's a lot more difficult for you to accept that offer than the first one. Why, why would anyone take less? In your job, you're doing what's good for you. It's not about helping your company. Ultimately, at the end of the day, it's about getting that paycheck, and you're going to get the biggest paycheck you possibly can. Aaron Rodgers shouldn't take less. Packers have a bunch of free agents this offseason, or they, they would have had a bunch of high-end free agents had they not extended Devontae Adams and Corey Lindsley towards the end of the season. One of those guys who's still going to hit free agency, though, is Morgan Burnett. And this is going to be a headache for the Packers, I think. Gary did a great piece last season uh, while Morgan Burnett was was going through his injury problems and they had to turn over you know play-calling duties to HaHa Clinton Dix for a while. Things did not go well. Packers were in the... Everything was going wrong for the Packers at this time. But Morgan Burnett was one of the things that was also going wrong. So we did some digging, found all these numbers. Gary put together a piece about how much worse the Packers defense is when Morgan Burnett is not on the field. From 2013 through last season, the Packers had played 12 games without Morgan Burnett. They went 5-7 and seven in that stretch. And without Burnett in the lineup, they were giving up more total yards, more passing yards, and more points. Well, this past season, they played four games. Uh, they had four games where Morgan Burnett did not start that game. There was a, a, at least one more where he didn't finish it or play a lot. But what's interesting to note is those numbers have completely flipped. The Packers, without Morgan Burnett on the field, gave up fewer points, fewer overall yards, a few more passing yards, uh, and their turnovers weren't quite as good. But basically, they, they were better without Morgan Burnett on the field in 2017 than in 2000, whatever, 2013 through this, this past season. I think that's interesting because, for me at least, the prevailing wisdom to this point has been that the Packers have to bring Morgan Burnett back. He's a, a smart player. He'll probably pick up Mike Pettin's defense pretty well. He's versatile. He can do a lot of things. Now I'm starting to wonder if maybe that's such a great idea. Further evidence supporting that point is that he is probably going to be pretty expensive. SpotTrack.com, we're going to be dropping this name a lot over the next days and weeks as we get closer to free agency, is an invaluable tool for evaluating deals, uh, just tracking salary history and things like that. If we quote any salary data on this podcast or on uh, on ThePowerSoup.com, just assume it's from SpotTrack because it probably is. They have a great market value estimator tool 
for guys that are hitting free agency and they compare guys to to comparable players throughout the league see what they got and adjust a little bit for, for performance the estimated contract for morgan burnett who hits free agency this this offseason at the age of 29 is uh four years in just a shade under 40 million dollars 39.3 million dollars an average annual salary of 9.8 million dollars that would put him as the number two paid strong safety in the nfl couple comparable salaries for you to get your head around Barry Church, who signed for four years and $26 million. Uh, Cam Chancellor, three years for $36 million. Uh, and Rashad Jones for five years and $60 million. All three of those gentlemen were 29 years old when they signed their extension. Truthfully, I don't know what the Packers do here. I think they're in a bit of a bind, and I think this is a big headache for Brian Gutekunst. Because obviously, this past year's numbers notwithstanding, Burnett is an important player to the Packers defense. He can do a lot of things. He's a stabilizing influence, and he really just makes life easier for everyone else on on the defense. But he's going to be expensive, and it's hard to justify giving out almost $40 million to a guy who's going to be hitting 30 here before too long and wasn't a real big game changer. It's hard to justify $40 million for a guy who isn't really going to be a game changer. Always remember with the salary extensions, you're not paying for so much for what a guy has done. Maybe a little bit different in the Rodgers situation. You do have to pay a little bit more for what he for what he's done in the past. But you're paying for what you think a guy is going to do in the future. Chances are Morgan Burnett is going to decline and decline precipitously over the next two to three to four years, probably the life of his contract. I think that's a problem if, you, if you're looking to bring him back. But I honestly don't know what you do. Can you really take another quality player out of the Packers secondary? They've already lost Micah Hyde and Casey Hayward over the past two offseasons. You really want to throw a third one out there? I think that could be trouble. Just because you've, you've lost so many decent enough bodies on the back end of your defense that you may start having problems. That's a headache for the Packers, and I'm glad I'm not the one who has to solve that issue. Switching back over to the offensive side of the ball, to me, Brian Bulaga is not up for debate for the Packers. This is another name I've seen get thrown out there a lot. The Packers Wire did a piece on why the Packers might be uh, within their rights to to cut Brian Bulaga. Uh, Rob Domovsky for ESPN wrote a, wrote a thing about uh, how the Packers may want to cut him. And I'm, I'm not seeing the reasoning here. It, it's not making any sense to me. A uh, couple things to keep in mind. Brian Bulaga is an absolute bargain right now. Uh Heading into this next season, he is going to be the number 21 highest paid tackle in the NFL in terms of his cap number. 2019, he jumps to the 18th highest paid tackle. When he's healthy, I th- that's an incredible deal. And he is healthy, I think, a lot more than people give him credit for. Uh, since his ACL injury, he's he stayed generally pretty healthy. He's only missed a, he only missed a couple games in the, the years after his his uh, first knee injury and the second knee injury. I mean, it it stinks, but I think once he comes back, you can reasonably ex- expect that he is going to be at or near the level of play that he was at because uh, he's done it once. And I know he's a little bit older, but I think he has the the style of play that will allow him to get back to that level pretty pretty easily. And because of the value of his contract and the, the relative affordability of his contract, even when he's not healthy, you're just not shelling out a ton of money to keep him. He's not counting a lot against your cap. So I don't see what the big issue there in terms of what he's getting paid. 
in terms of him just taking up space the Packers have plenty of options there too you got the pup list to start the season which is where he's probably going to end up whether it's in Green Bay or somebody else or somewhere else he's going to be on the pup list to start the season just because of when his his um injury took place then if he doesn't come back you put him on injured reserve you know it happens sometimes guys don't get all the way back and you have to put him on injured reserve that to me is not a huge deal yep you're out a couple million bucks um but you know it's not a lot it's not a huge game-breaking contract that you just have sitting there on the bench so i i don't think that it's that big of a deal then even if the packers did cut him they're only getting 6.3 million dollars in savings against their cap what's that get you not a whole lot um 6.3 6.3 million is roughly two and a half, two and three quarters Lance Kendricks's, at least in terms of his contract. He counted about two and a quarter million against the a cap this year. Um, so not quite three Lance Kendricks contracts. What are you getting for that? You know, it is a couple more of those low end free agents that we talked about the Packers being willing to sign. But really, unless you're taking all of that and throwing it towards a really high end free agent, I'm not sure that that's really really worth it i think it's worth rolling the dice on bulaga coming back you've got him under contract for two more years you might as well at least see what happens heading into this next season another interesting guy who's in a sort of see what see what happens sort of stage is nick perry i hadn't thought of nick perry as a guy who could potentially get cut but after reading uh again we got to cite rob domovsky here reading his take on it there could be something going on that I hadn't really thought about a whole lot. Um, let me quote from one of Domovsky's recent pieces here. Um, recent pieces. That sounds like Reese's pieces. Can tell where mine's at, my mind's at. I already had dinner. Why? I shouldn't be so hungry. Anyway, back to the topic at hand. Delicious though Reese's pieces are. Last year or last week I went on a Coles digression. I guess this week it's candy. All sorts of topics that you can use or not use here on Blue 58. Anyway. Quoting Domovsky, quote, the five-year $60 million that uh, contract that Perry signed in March was structured so the Packers could move on well before it ends if necessary. Perry is owed a $4.3 million roster bonus on March 16th, but his total pay in 2018 is only $7.2 million. The Packers would have to designate him as a post-June 1 cut in order to save salary cap space. However, they would have to wait until after the 2018 season to move on. Uh, otherwise, they would have to move uh, wait till the 2018 uh, until after the 2018 season to move on. However, if Perry has another season like he did last year, it's hard to imagine the Packers bringing him back at 20, in 2019 when his salary and bonuses total 11.1 million dollars. I think Domovsky's off by a year here because I think the Packers get more savings if they designate him a post June one cut next season uh, as opposed to this season if the Packers do one of those post June 1 cuts um, next year they count he counts 3.7 million dollars against the cap in 2019 and 7.4 million against the cap in 2020 but the Packers free up 11 million dollars in cap savings in 2019 this seems like it's going to be another almost contract year for Nick Perry um because he's going to have to justify again the the big contract or the big salary that he has uh, next season season after next i guess technically uh in order to get that money if this is ever a prove it situation or if there was ever one this is it Uh, and it feels like nick perry's been in these situations a lot over the past couple years um again contracts are not about what a guy has done in the past 
And uh, the Packers signed Perry thinking that he was going to be a big-time pass rusher for them in the future. He's got to show that he can be that to continue justify getting paid like he is. He certainly didn't do it in 2017. There are some injury concerns there, obviously, but uh, he needs to produce a little bit more. And uh, I know we, we always say that sacks are not a good indicator of pass rush success, but they are one indicator. And uh, Perry did not get to the quarterback and finish the job enough in 2017. Finally, I want to uh, finish up here by talking about three guys real quick here. Um, these are, are guys that get mentioned as restructuring candidates a lot. Uh, Randall Cobb, Jordy Nelson, and Clay Matthews. I mentioned them in that area or in that order because uh, that is low to high in terms of cap savings for what the Packers get if they cut these guys. All of these guys have been mentioned as as potential restructuring candidates or, or get them to to take a lesser deal. Um, and one thing we have to rule out right away is the uh, is the incentives deal. Um, I see this every year about this time, and seems to just sit a guy down and be like, "All right." So I know you're supposed to make $10 million this next season. What's actually going to happen is you're going to make $4 million this season and you're going to earn the rest back through incentives. The player in those situations would actually say, no, cut me or leave my contract alone. There's no reason for a player to just be like, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Take back half my money. I will earn it back. If you sign a contract, you want the money that's due you in the contract obviously so so get that out of your head that's not going to happen but all these guys could be restructured in such a way where instead of saying hey we'll give you just 10 million dollars for this year and i'm just using that number as an example that's not what any of these guys actually make instead of giving you 10 million dollars this year for just this year what if we gave you say 18 million dollars over the next three years you're not making quite as much this year, but you'll get paid the year after and the year after that. And your contract is at least there. So we're, we're pushing this decision down the road a little bit instead of just cutting you outright. Because we don't think you're going to get $10 million from anybody. But, you know, we'll, we'll kind of meet you halfway. We'll give you a little bit more security and some more so a chance to make more money down the road. What do you think of that? I think that's a situation we could see with all three of these guys. But let's explore what could happen if the Packers decide they just want to move on here. Randall Cobb uh, probably, I think, is the safest of these three. If the Packers cut him, uh, they're getting $9.4 million in cap savings. That's great for them, but they lose probably their second most effective wide receiver. Uh, and I, I, I think we need to get away from the idea that Cobb is going to be the kind of receiver that he was in 2014. I don't think that's coming back. But I think his stats don't necessarily reflect, reflect his value because he is a, still a very valuable player. And he's one of the, the few guys on the team who didn't see his stats completely tank when Aaron Rodgers went down. So I think there is value there. And I think he, he has a lot of value, especially with Aaron Rodgers on the field. So I don't think Cobb gets cut. I don't think he gets restructured. I think the Packers just let him play out this deal. And then they revisit this decision next offseason. Jordy Nelson, I think... In order of likelihood here, I think there are three situations. I think restructure, retire, or cut. If the Packers still believe that Jordy Nelson has value to their I think they 
I think they, they try to get a deal done where they restructure. If they don't, I think they have an honest conversation with Jordy Nelson and be like, hey, here's the deal. Um, we could cut you here and save $10.2 million against the cap. Or what you could do is maybe just, I don't, we hear you like you farm a lot in Kansas. Maybe you just stay there. And uh, we both end up looking good here. We don't have to cut a franchise icon. You don't have to go looking for another job. What do you say? We just we just say we're good here. Then I think if if he's he's like no, I think I can I can come back and be an effective player, and I don't want to restructure my contract. Um, you know, I think the Packers say, well, maybe maybe we'll move on here. But if if he's will if he wants to play, and the Packers think he has value, I think they restructure him. If not, I, I think they hope he retires. And if he doesn't retire, I think they they probably cut him, especially because you're saving more than ten million dollars against the cap. The thing with both Randall and Nelson is that receivers are a heck of a lot easier to replace than people believe them to be. And this is one area where I have an issue with Aaron Rodgers. He needs to get over the people need to earn my trust stuff because you you got the guys that you got and you can't just not throw to guys because you don't trust them. I, I understand a certain point um, not trusting a guy maybe like Jeff Janis because I'm not sure that he still understands where he has to be on the football field. And putting him in positions where he has to, or where he can be successful—that's the job of the coach, not the job of of Aaron Rodgers. But I'm not sure that you can you can trust everybody, so that's not a blank check. But I wish Aaron Rodgers would do a better job of of less publicly saying like, "Hey, these guys need to get on the same page as me," because you've you just got the guys that you got. But generally speaking, it's pretty easy to find wide receivers. It's way easier than it used to be to get decent wide receivers and running backs in the NFL because of the way that the college game has changed. So. If the Packers move on from Randall and Nelson, it's not necessarily the end of the world. Finally, Clay Matthews. This one is tricky because I think there's uh, the risk to reward benefit is is the greatest here. Uh, the reward is the biggest. If the Packers cut Clay Matthews now, they will save $11.4 million against their 2018 cap, and they will have zero, zero dead cap, nothing at all. They They have no penalty for cutting Clay Matthews now. They can walk away. The thing is, if you cut Clay Matthews, who are your remaining pass rushers? Nick Perry and nobody else. Do you really trust Nick Perry to be the lead dog in your pass rush going into 2018? And I know that there's the draft and all that, but do you really think that he is your your best option? I don't. I, I think you could use the money that you save cutting Clay Matthews to maybe bring somebody in, but I also think there's a small, small chance to actually get somebody who can be even as good as 2017 Clay Matthews is. The Packers need a guy like Clay Matthews a lot more than they need a guy like Jordy Nelson or Randall Cobb. So I think if anybody gets restructured for sure, it's going to be Matthews because I think they would like to keep him around for a couple more years just because of his versatility. Now, one last thing we have to mention here, um, and I think this is just because it's such a large number, uh, that it, it can't be totally ruled out. The Packers would save roughly $31 million against their cap if they just cut all three of these guys and walked away. Even if you like these guys a lot, and I do like all of these guys for different reasons, um, though their performance may not be all that great recently, that's still a lot of money. And coupled with the, I think, $19 million that they already have under the cap, Suddenly, you're up to about $50 million to spend in free agency or extend some other guys. 
That's hard to ignore. All this to say, this is going to be an interesting offseason because I think there's a lot of different ways this could go. The only guy on this list that for sure we know for sure is going to be around in 2018 is Aaron Rodgers. Uh, But beyond that, it gets a little bit wild. I could see a situation where they cut everybody. Uh, I mean, Nick Perry probably won't get released, but at least we know it's possible. This is going to be a wild offseason. It's going to be fun. While I've got you here, we need to mention something from this wild offseason because this time of the year tends to breed these wild and su- stupid stories. I mentioned this story already on thepowersweep.com, but I think it's it's worth bringing up here, if only to illustrate the larger point. This time of year, people go go hunting for, for stories that they know are going to get clicks. And don't click on the outrage headlines the, or the, uh, the headlines like, here's somebody who's going to get released, especially if it's from a national writer. Somebody who covers these teams from a national perspective just generally doesn't know the ins and outs of why things are as they are with a local team or why things appear to be the way that they are with this local team. And the example I, I chose is from an article from SB Nation's NFL vertical that suggested the Packers need to cut Mason Crosby. Uh, they said he his accuracy was way down this past season and he's never been that great from long distance so they should probably just cut him and save uh, like two and a half million three million against the cap what they don't know about mason crosby is is two things one his accuracy was way down this past year because he only attempted 19 field goals because the packers offense was so pathetic two uh he missed at least two of those field goals because of problems with his amateur hour long snappers so even if you include just two more of those field goals, uh, those two field goals into his stats, he jumps all the way to almost a 90% conversion rate, which is pretty darn good. Three, he actually has been very good from long distance. Over the past five years, since 2013, he's 14 of 21 converting from 50 yards plus. In addition, the seven misses that he has are almost entirely not all to blame on him. Four of those misses happened in either November or December in outdoor games. One of them was blocked, and two of them were from 57 yards or more. I don't know how you blame Mason Crosby entirely for for all of those. Uh, at least three of them were in, or two of them were incredible long shots. One was blocked, so that's not his fault at all. All this to say, just beware of this this silly season uh, with off-season speculation. Consider the source, unless that source is thepowersweep.com, then you can take it all to the bank. That's all I've got for you this week. We do appreciate you listening in on this contract-heavy episode of Blue 58. You can find us, as I've mentioned, at thepowersweep.com. Connect with us as well on Facebook and Twitter. Just search The Power Sweep at either of those websites, or if you prefer to reach out to us via email, you may do so uh, by typing in thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com and to your preferred email provider. We do appreciate your support, and if you choose to support us, you may do so at patreon.com. Just type patreon.com slash the power sweep into your web browser of choice or pick up a t-shirt from teespring by clicking the store link at thepowersweep.com. as always the easiest and freest way to support the show is to give us a review on itunes if you want no pressure but we do appreciate it we do love to hear from you in whatever form you choose any feedback you give us helps us make this entire operation better and helps all of us to become smarter Packers fans and as I always say smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans and better Packers fans are what we all want to be I am John Meerdink we will see you next week on Blue 58